podcast with Tola Dole Fisher. Hello and welcome. This is Woman Alive with me, Tola Dole Fisher. This is the podcast for Christian women where I'm chatting with real women about real life and real faith. I think how people approach death is as individual as people are. We, even within the Christian community, some people feel very confident and very hopeful. And there are people who, even though their faith is very strong, are still struggling. Well, I've spent a lot of time with a girl who was resurrected. Oh, wow. So, hanging out with her, she was the most joyful person I have ever met. And she says now, if I, if I died again, I would never come back because... Heaven, like there's nowhere else you'd want to be. It's like we're made for that. That's our home. The Woman Alive podcast is produced in partnership with Open Doors. Welcome back to another episode of the Woman Alive podcast with me, Tola Fisher. Today, we're discussing a topic that many of us find difficult. But in this reflective period of Lent, we want to give space to this important conversation. So the title of the article we'll be unpacking today is Should Christians Be Afraid of Dying? And you can read the whole article online right now at womanalive.co.uk. But before we get started, if you love listening, we'd love a five-star rating. Your support helps us to become visible to other users as we continue to bring you the kind of content that affects real women living real lives and with real faith. And now let me introduce today's guests. First, we have Reverend Katie. Katie is an Anglican priest who's been ordained for three years. Prior to ordination, Katie was for many years what she calls a missionary mum of four daughters, combining raising children with serving in the local church and community with a particular focus on family support. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. We also have my deputy editor, Jemima Wright. She works alongside me on Women Alive. Uh, Jemima has authored three biographies and most recently is the author of the historical fiction novel, Isabella's Voyage. Welcome, Jemima. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we're going to launch with a bit of an icebreaker, which is a uh, how well do you know the Bible quiz? And this is not your uh, passport to heaven. Don't worry about that. It's not going to be too difficult. But we just want to um, get something that will help our readers understand and help you to understand exactly what we're talking about today by what's in the Bible and the kind of the scriptures around it. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection to the disciples. He tells them he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He mentions that he will be killed and on the third day be raised to life. After hearing this, one of the disciples took him aside and rebukes him, saying, this shall never happen to you. So the question is, which disciple rebukes Jesus? And the multiple choice answers you can pick from are A, is it Matthew that rebukes Jesus? Is it B, Judas that rebukes Jesus? Or is it C, Peter? So who, which disciple rebukes Jesus? Is it A, Matthew, B, Judas? and see peter i'm gonna to go to you katie first which do you think and i'm gonna go with peter peter so see peter you sound very sure that in your reverence i'm guessing that's why you sound so sure jemima what do you think is it a matthew <laughs> b judas or c peter well katie's a vicar so <laughs> she would know but i agree with katie i think it's c peter 
Uh, is that your own answer or are you just piggybacking on that is my answer? own answer but i can't prove it but it is my own answer okay great so we're going with c for peter both of you and the answer is peter you. you're correct <laughs> my job you. could depend on this <laughs> <laughs> um in matthew sixteen twenty two, it says peter took jesus aside and began to rebuke him which i think is quite brave to do but there you go and Moving on to the article we're discussing today that is written by you, Jemima. If you wouldn't mind reading a bit of the article for those that um, haven't seen it. And this called Should Christians Be Afraid of Dying? Sure. So uh, it starts with my dad eventually died in the night in November 2020 and his body was transferred from the hospice to the funeral home. We knew we had to honour his wishes, but I was nervous. I'd never seen a dead body. How would I cope seeing my father's corpse? My mother, one of my brothers, and a couple from the Norfolk Healing Rooms and I turned up at the funeral home. What I should say is before in the article, my dad had asked us to pray for him to be resurrected. So this is what we're doing. The staff thought we were just visiting to pay our last respects. None of us were going to disclose that we were actually going to pray for him to be raised from the dead. When I saw him, I wasn't afraid. I understood my dad's soul and spirit were no longer in his body. We began to worship in the room and then prayed, asking for God to bring my father back if if it was his will. However, as we prayed, I had a vision of dad as a younger man jumping up and down saying, it's better than you think, it's better than you think. And that settled it for me. I love that. Thank you, Jemima. Um, And also very brave. Just, I know you said that your dad asked you to to do that but to go in and actually pray for resurrection is something that we read about in the bible i don't know that how many people today actually do that with expectation i know i was pretty sure he wouldn't come back because i just thought once you get there you're not going to come back gonna he was also 86 so i was thinking you know he's not gonna want to come back (laughs) we had we had to honor his wishes (laughs) yeah so what kind of i mean what kind of emotions did you experience because you were obviously very close to your dad um when you passed away um how did you feel kind of going into that room to be honest I think when my dad died initially I felt a bit numb um I was with living with my mum um as well and I think I was more concerned about her and supporting her initially and I don't think I properly grieved my dad until later on so those first few days um it was kind of shock and even though we were expecting it he was in a hospice but um yeah, I don't think I really grieved it or felt the pain of it until later on. And I mean, I knew a little bit about your dad and I kind of spoke to him online a little bit and he was so full of joy, as you say in your article, and, and such a strong faith. Um, so how much of the kind of grieving process did you go through with that side, of, like a side of joy and a side of actually knowing that he was in a, what we like to say, the better place and how much do you think was just, just utter sadness about where, where the fact that he wasn't with you anymore? Well, I think I had a real sense also when we were in this, um, in the funeral parlour of him passing on the baton and a sense of like, okay, he's, he's, he's run his race. He's finished well. And not everyone does finish well. So he's finished well and mm. he's now in heaven. So he's fine. But now I have to run my race. And I, I really felt that sense of um, 
purpose responsibility i don't know what it is that now he's not on this earth anymore and i also you know because he used he used to walk around our village and stop all the cars and stop people and ask them if they knew where they were going when they died uh, no if if they knew where they were going and they go yes to the pub and he'd go no when you died you know where you're going <laughs> and i would look at people in a whole new way going you, you're not going to be asked that question but i'm much more of a chicken and i'm not as confrontational as my dad um so yeah i just uh, for me it was a sadness but also a sense of purpose like you know, our life is short. We're going to heaven soon and let's not waste any time now. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, Katie, given your uh, pastoral experience in this area, what is it about death that you in that you find most people find scary and how do you support them through that? So one of the interesting things about being a a minister in the Church of England is that you have this chaplaincy role to a whole community. So actually you do quite a lot of ministry with people who don't necessarily have a faith, probably more actually, because the numbers of people in your church are limited and they are mostly um, staying alive. And one of the times when you get called in um, by the community outside of the church is when somebody is dying or has died. Um, And I have probably spent on balance more time with families where somebody has already died um, than I have done with people who are preparing for death. But nonetheless, um, I've also done that. And I think how people approach death is as individual as people are. And actually, within we, even within the Christian community, there is no doubt that some people feel very confident and very hopeful. Um, and there is a grace in that. And there are people who even though their faith is very strong, are still struggling. And I think it's really important to allow them to be honest about where they are so that we can start from there as the point of conversation. I was actually going to ask you about that in terms of um, how you care for Christians facing death kind of versus how you care for people that don't have a faith yes is is there a, I mean like, there is a difference I'm guessing how how do you how do you navigate that there is a difference I think even with Christians the thing that I'm learning is to not assume um, where they're at with it because actually even people whose faith is very strong they may be frightened of the process of dying or there may be things that they need to resolve in order to die peacefully. And that's quite an important conversation to have with people. Is there something, one of the questions I ask is, what is keeping you awake at three in the morning? What is the regret or the fear or the unreconciled relationship or whatever it may be? And that that's quite an important part of ministering to people of faith and not who are facing death is, is just creating some safe space with somebody who's not their family, who doesn't have to be protected by them, um, but with whom they can just be honest. Uh, the great thing about ministering with people who do have a firm faith is that that some of the fears can be allayed because we do just have these great promises <laughs> in God's word. We have this extraordinary moment of Jesus on the cross saying to the thief crucified with him, today you will be with me in paradise. We have the resurrection and his eating with his disciples again. And 
so much hope, so many promises um, of resurrection life, which you can, we can lean on those without any complexity at all uh, when people's faith is there and it's certain. And obviously that needs a little bit more navigation with people who aren't maybe there yet. And actually on this, on the the word, the idea of resurrection. So Jemima, you said that your dad said to you that you, you know, he asked you guys to pray him to be resurrected, which you did pray for. Um, And Katie obviously just mentioned about the resurrection of Jesus. What do you both think about resurrection in 2024 of you know of the normal person what that you know your everyday person what 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 are your thoughts around resurrection well I've spent a lot of time with a girl who was resurrected oh wow (laughs) um, yeah so I wrote the first draft of a book called face to face with Jesus of a girl called Samar that's not her real name but um she's from a Middle Eastern uh, country and um she died in a bomb that was planted in the congregation where she worshipped and um it's a long story of what happened but she talks about she was she flew across the room she said Jesus saved me when she opened her eyes again she was in heaven face to face with Jesus and it struck me so much what she, how she talked about heaven. And when she saw Jesus, she realized she lived her life for her own purposes. And even though, I mean, she was a Christian and in my opinion, like, you know, pretty radical, but she knew her own heart. And um, Jesus gave her a choice whether to stay or go back. And she was just reminded of her family that didn't know him and her country where they don't know him. And she knew she had to go back and um, fulfill her purpose. So she said, I know I need to go back. And he said, OK, see you soon. So she came back into her body, but she'd been blown up in a bomb. So 75% of her skin was burnt off. She had a hole in her head with her brain exposed. She was blinded by the bomb. Um, eventually, people found her under the rubble thought she was dead, but then realized that she wasn't dead. Um, they took her to the hospital. She cried out to God for her eyesight because she said, you brought me back. I need to be able to see. After three days, her eyesight came back and uh, the doctors can't explain it. They don't know how that happened. Um, and her skin was completely healed and restored. And the only thing you can see is she's got this long, beautiful, long brown hair. But if there's a patch where she lifts it up where there's no, hair doesn't grow, and that's where the hole in her head was. And she used to lay hands on it and go, Lord, please let my hair grow back. And he just said, Jesus still has his scars from the crucifixion as a reminder of what I've done. And this is just a reminder for people to believe. Um, but hanging out with her, she was the most joyful person I have ever met. And she said to me, Jemima, joy is the currency of heaven. And the way she talked about Jesus, and she says now, if I if I died again, I would never come back because heaven, heaven, she, like it's hard for me to explain how she explains it. But, and, and I think it's hard for our earthly minds to understand. But she just said the feeling of love that just emanated from Jesus and the awe of his power and his goodness, like there's nowhere else you'd want to be. It's like we're made for that. That's our home. And she had a like a tiny a, a glimpse of that and, and has come back to um, to tell people it's heaven is real and Jesus has come back soon. So that was massively impactful on my life to to meet her and spend time with her. That sounds incredible. I don't know. Yeah, I what's the book that you wrote that you mentioned that in Jemima or that story? It's called Face to Face with Jesus. I just wrote the first draft and another author finished it off. But um, yeah, Face to Face with Jesus. 
What an incredible testimony. And what, how long ago was this, just out of interest? So she's now in her late 30s and it's when she was a teenager, but she can't, uh, she's, she's had to leave um, the country that she was living in for security. And okay. that's why she doesn't use her name and doesn't say which country she's from. Okay. Gosh, that is an incredible story. Katie, what, what are your thoughts on uh, modern day resurrection? Gosh, it's hard to follow that story, isn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I have no such experience and I've never met anybody who has. So, so anything I have comes from sort of pondering on what the Bible says. And I think I, I find it really encouraging that Jesus eats with his disciples and that there is a mm-hmm. physical resurrection that, that I think in, in folk, religion that is around me very much where I am now there is almost a sense of that kind of floating on a cloud um it's not just not very exciting sounding what do you mean by that folk so in there's a lot of um where I minister at the moment people do actually have a sense of life after death but they don't know what it means and they don't they have a kind of vague hope and it is I don't think they would think about bodily resurrection. I think they think about their kind of spirit okay. um, being somewhere, uh, you know, it's it's a bit floating on a cloud with a harp. I um, see. Not yeah. quite, but it's not, yeah. um, there's no sense of, of um, there's no sense of bodily resurrection. I think that is really quite a uniquely Christian uh, thing to hope for. So I think about it in quite an earthy way. And I think about feasting, and who knows, maybe working the the kind of work that comes without the curse. Um, so I, but it is a mystery. And I think we have to just accept that, that we don't know exactly what it is going to look like in a recreated heaven and earth and quite what how things will be. But we did see Jesus being with his friends and eating. Uh, and we do have these promises of his light um being at the center of the new heaven and new earth and often with people dying and when they have died we think a lot about those verses in revelation about the end of death and crying and mourning and every tear will be wiped away sort of phenomenally hopeful vision for the future i often i think this is not this is not directly from the bible but when i think about it i think this life is probably a little bit like being in the airport waiting lounge to get on the plane. And some people get to sit in that really fancy lounge that you pay extra for and they have the free drinks at the settee and they can lie down. And some people spend 18 hours, you know, lying on the floor uh, with their rucksack under their head. It doesn't really matter because it's not the point. The point is that you get on the plane and we go to our actual destination and I think we need to not be too attached to the airport lounge because we lack the imagination for what happens on the other side of that journey. What a great analogy. I like that. I'm going to try and remember that next time at an airport lounge. <laughs> going to remind me of, of my life. Katie, you've mentioned a few times about the promises that we have in the Bible. So I wanted to ask both of you what scriptures that you've turned to when you've been thinking about dying and you're where located I guess with the funerals that you preside over in Jemima with your father were there any specific scriptures that really helped you um I mean in some ways they feel predictable but I think that's for a reason because actually um there's a reason why the 23rd psalm is so significant to us because actually 
at the time of death, it talks about that walking through the valley of the shadow of death and not being alone uh, because God is with us. And, and reading only about three weeks ago, I sat with somebody in her last hours um, reading that psalm with her and then slightly badly singing the, is it Stuart Townend? I can't remember that. The uh, I will trust in you alone song. I, I don't remember, Katie, okay. so I feel like you have to sing to jog, yeah, well, jog our it. memories. <laughs> That's uh, I'm, I might decline that, that invitation. <laughs> it was enough that I inflicted it on a poor dying woman. Um, but she was she was from our church. I I'd had many conversations with her. Interestingly, probably a bit like your father, Jemima. She was somebody who when she knew she was dying, you would go and spend time with her and you would come away feeling encouraged and uplifted. Um, she she really did end well. But that, I think, the uh, Today You Will Be With Me in Paradise, actually, is quite a significant scripture. I love the Romans knowing all these things were more than conquerors because I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is that is a scripture, actually, that I think is really meaningful to ministry with Christians who are dying or Christian families where somebody has died. Um, it it doesn't land quite so strongly with people for whom they've never heard it before. And actually, then you need to reach for other scriptures. But the the Lord is my shepherd um, does. People are familiar with that, actually, even if they have no real church experience. So that is quite a helpful scripture. The, one of the great things about ministry in the Anglican church is that speak people over years and years and years worked very hard to put together prayers and scriptures around death and dying and so you can do a lot worse than reaching into this green book I have in front of me Mm. Um, just contains it's a it's a treasure trove of hope actually for that for that moment I think um, one the verse that comes to mind straight away is it's Matthew six nineteen to twenty one, which says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be." And I think it's for me that's just a helpful um, helpful verse to prioritize. Like you know, if I'm focusing or worrying too much about things. I don't know, homes and finances and clothes and the things that I like to think about. Um, actually, we can't take them where we're going. And and to live my life for um, for heaven is actually more fruitful. There was a missionary, and I can't remember his name, but he said that quote, maybe in case you know, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose is that right yeah was it um ah the he was the young i can't believe i forgot elizabeth jim elliott yes jim Jim elliott Elliott. yeah that's it that is it yeah which i feel like is connected to this verse in some way that um yeah one of the real privileges of doing a lot of ministry with people um who are dying or have died uh, or their families is that is that thinking about how do we live well and mm-hmm. I've since I I've thought more in this job than I ever have before on that verse teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom um, it's a it's it's a really powerful way that it has affected me to to 
think to face up to the reality that life is li limited actually even if you're resurrected <laughs> even when Jesus resurrected people they died again so there is however long it is and we don't know um it will come to an end mm -hmm. and living well it's a real incentive to live well and to not take the days for granted so the um the quote that you both just referenced our producer just found that so it's uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose jim elliott and that i think definitely does um encapsulate a lot of that conversation this conversation around this idea that we where we are is it and actually it's really not but we spend so much time thinking about it and i wonder if that's because is that because we're afraid of the unknown or or we do some of us genuinely think this is it. it's like why do we why do we spend so much time focusing on the airport lounge why, why do you think that is maybe because it's what we can see it's so hard to you know living by faith is it's hard because we can't see it and it is faith and even in heaven believing in heaven is also a step of faith because we're not there yet um maybe that's why and I think um, we're quite protected from death, most of us. Most of us, will we will lose close family and friends. Um, that's inevitable. But we may not, we may go years without bereavement or loss of that kind. And we can then just push it to the edges of our consciousness. And I think society has really pushed it to the edge of consciousness. So, which is why this is a great conversation to be having. I I have um uh I would say I have my my closest experience with death or the idea of death on a company personally is um so I was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer a few years ago and I remember being in hospital after the the first operation that I had and just feeling like what is the point and it wasn't um I didn't feel suicidal I didn't feel like I wanted to die I just felt like why I don't want to be ill like this I don't want to live with this sickness and this this feeling like I, can't, I you know I could barely move anything I couldn't go to the loo by myself I felt so I was bedridden I felt I just felt this loss of being mm. and I wonder if there's is there something that you have found has helped people who maybe have or going through a chronic illness or a or are experience, experiencing not you know not that death is coming quite close but this idea that they're not as able to live as fully as they can or if they as they have been have any of you experienced anything that will have been able to support someone like that and if so how have you been able to do that interestingly it was part of my coming to faith story was a near physical death experience I had when I was very, when I was about twenty, I had surgery, and the after effects went wrong, um, oh and I reacted very badly to some medication, and and it was it was pretty frightening. And actually, I do remember feeling so unwell that I was perfectly happy to die. Um, it shows I'm I'm not very robust. I I, I often read <laughs> these stories of people who you know survive on a dinghy for forty eight days or something. <laughs> I think. I would just say, Lord, take me now. Same. <laughs> just not. Me too. I just don't have that kind of courage. But that sense of what is the point settled 
very deeply and it was part of what God used to draw me to faith actually um but I also have been with people of faith who have had that experience and I think I think just grace is so important actually to understand that sometimes things happen in our bodies that then do affect us spiritually and emotionally and that is okay it is okay to have those thoughts and to be able to express them and to have people pray for you and with you and hold you in prayer when actually you just don't feel like you have the strength to to do the next day yourself so I think grace just grace for yourself grace for other people um, honesty lament all those things just being honest being real about it being really hard um, because that sometimes I think Christians feel the need to say that everything is okay when it doesn't feel okay and actually Jesus certainly didn't feel the need to do that so he needed his friends <laughs> and in Gethsemane he needed his friends to pray with him and watch with him and we are we are not stronger than him absolutely thank you Katie Jemima did you want to add anything I no, I don't think I can add to that I think that's so wise and yeah very true and in this period where we're in Lent leading up to Easter, this might be the only time that some people are even thinking about death. Maybe it's not something that is close to them. Maybe they don't know anyone who's died that is close to them personally. And for those people who might not have experienced the amazing testimony that Jemima's experienced with the woman who came back to life, or Katie, you know, you've um, helped people walk through the death of a close family member or friend for those who haven't experienced any of that and who might be feeling a bit afraid about dying and this idea of death, is there anything you could kind of share just to help that this one person? Like how, how can they um, explore it without getting overwhelmed or feeling afraid about it? I would say um, if you know the goodness and the character of God, that he loves us so much, and if you start looking into his character and his goodness – then if you focus on that and not on the unknown, because what we know is what we're told in the Bible of who he is and his goodness, then it's easier to have faith to hold, to give him the unknown of what is the thing that's causing fear. Because, And sometimes I think the fear is actually the process of dying. And I agree with you, Katie, about feeling so ill that you actually didn't mind if you did die. Because I, I was just thinking of when I was 18, I got hepatitis and typhoid at the same time in the Philippines and I felt so awful. And I remember thinking then I'm, I'm fine to go. I'll die now. So I, I, yeah, I have experienced that, but um, yeah, that would be one suggestion maybe to, to look into who Jesus is and his goodness and kindness and love, because um, that may help. Thank you, Jemima and Katie. I think that wonderful promise of never will I leave you, never will I forsake you is a good promise for this, because that implies not for a second. Mm. And so, yes, I think that just adds to what Jemima says. If we're confident of the goodness of God, we're confident of his character, we're confident that he is a good father um, who has got our hands and is not going to let go for one single second, then that is not a bad 
that's not a bad start. There's a there's a rather beautiful prayer I just wanted to read from this book, which is um, a prayer at the time of death. But I think it offers hope and comfort for anyone thinking about this whenever it might be. And one of the prayers at the time of death says, go forth from this world in the love of God, the father who created you in the mercy of Jesus Christ, who redeemed you in the power of the Holy Spirit, who strengthens you. May the heavenly host sustain you and the company of heaven enfold you in communion with all the faithful. May you dwell this day in peace. And I think I might have that written somewhere. Definitely. Thank you so much, Katie, for that. Can you just remind us uh, where, where you're reading that from? I am reading that from the what is called ministry at the time of death. So that is a prayer that you would say with somebody who was dying. Um whether they're conscious or not we always assume people can hear us mm-hmm. even if they appear to be unconscious and yes yeah, so that's one of the very last things that you might say to somebody in ministry but I think it can come in before that it's just the concept of that you go in the love of God and the mercy of Christ and the strength of the Holy Spirit and the communion of the saints um, that is actually what is promised to us So all the articles we discuss from the podcast are posted at womanalive.co.uk and podcast listeners can get 50% off a full year subscription to Women Alive magazine by going to womanalive.co.uk forward slash podcast. That's womanalive.co.uk forward slash podcast. And now we move on to the next segment of the episode where we talk about uh, we answer a question from a reader about relationships and sex. And this segment is called Great Expectations. And you can read all the questions that have been submitted at womanalive.co.uk by typing in the search bar, Great Expectations. So today's question from a reader is about her husband. Someone has said, my husband has gone off sex. What do I do? I'm just going to read to you what she sent in and then together we're going to try and help her come up with some answers. Dear Woman Alive, I have been married for 13 years and my husband has completely gone off sex. He doesn't seem interested in me physically anymore and I'm worried he's having an affair. When I try and talk about it, he just says it's complicated but is loving towards me in every other way. We are great companions, but I feel like something must be wrong if he doesn't want to sleep with me. What should I do? So here's a dilemma from our reader, Katie or Jemima. Any of you want to step in first with some some suggestions? Wow. I mean, the first thing I'd want to say is I suspect there aren't any easy solutions to, to the issue. And that sounds really, really painful. So I just want to express some sympathy and compassion for somebody who is pain, feeling something very painful and I suspect very isolating because we don't find it easy, do we, in the church to have these conversations, even really with very good friends. I, I think there's an expectation that everyone else is having a super straightforward sex life and that if yours is going wrong, then, you know, that makes you strange or unusual. And I I suspect that it does not make you either strange or unusual, but actually it's a very normal part of relationships for things to be easy or difficult in that department. So I think just 
sympathy and it sounds like they've done the first thing that that you would suggest which is to try and open a conversation <laughs> about what is going on um and that's very courageous I'm sure that wasn't an easy thing to do. Here is somebody who clearly wants to fight for their marriage and for it to be as good as possible. So I really salute that courage. Um, of course, you can't make somebody talk to you. And so I think I'm going to say a thing that feels a bit obvious, but I would um, I would be praying, actually, for the conversation to open up, for a breakthrough in that. And actually, if if the person could find a trusted person who is absolutely categorically on the side of their marriage that they felt they could safely open up to, I think I'd probably also be seeking someone else to join them in prayer um, and to be a space to listen and to hold them as a couple in prayer. That's a good point as well. I think sometimes we either go straight to spiritual, so we're praying everything away, or we're going too much the other side where we're just seeking um that we've just did the communication thing but actually praying before the communication is quite important as well because you know both are important it's not like one will work better than the other and and what I think reading this question what stands out to me as well is the immediate assumption that a husband's having an affair and I wonder where that's come from is that because we just assume that men will always want sex so if they don't want it or if they're not wanting it with us that means someone else is they're getting it with someone else um and I don't I wonder where that has come from Jemima did you have anything you wanted to share for this reader yeah I would agree with what Katie said about um maybe getting someone else to help because if he's already said she's tried to talk about it and he said it's complicated maybe he doesn't want to hurt her feelings or he's finding it difficult to communicate so to have someone else to help who can help with communication could be an issue and I recently listened to a podcast um, by, it's called The Diary of a CEO, and the guy's called Stephen Bartlett, who um, interviews people. And he interviewed someone on sex myths, I guess it was. Um, and she was just saying, for men, you know, stress at work, mm. um, emotional things can can 100% affect their sex drive. And maybe those things are difficult to talk about because, um maybe her this this woman's husband doesn't you know feels like it might be a weakness to share that he's stressed about whatever it is so uh, yeah I think communication is key if she can um it's interesting you said also she, her first thought was a, an affair but um it, it's highly likely that it's not that there's other stuff going on in him with him and it's affecting his sex life but he doesn't want to talk about it so I'll just encourage her um keep going with trying to get good communication and yeah see what happens and this is the thing as well about this these kind of conversations is when I read these questions from readers I think why are they coming to us but it's because as you said Katie these things don't get they don't get discussed in the church very often or or it's difficult to bring up um and the more that they become not that we should be banging on about sex from the pulpit or anything but the more those kind these kind of conversations are seen as acceptable and normal especially within the kind of safe spaces of christian communities the more people can get support from their own churches their own kind of cell groups and focus groups and and not feel ashamed about what they're experiencing i like what both of you have said in terms of the kind of 
second person or another person to get involved and but but crucially what you said Katie is that someone that is for your marriage because unfortunately that's not always the case Christian or not <laughs> in some in some circles so thank you both so much for um your kind of contributions to that and if this is you listening I hope that has been helpful to you or if you're listening and you didn't send this in but you are experiencing something similar again I hope this has been helpful for you could I chip in just one final sure. thing, which is to say there is very, very good professional help for relationships outside of the church. And sometimes I think we we try and manage everything in-house and we try and do, you know, we try and work things out that we are amateur at. And so this, I'm going to say two completely opposite things, one of which is I suspect it might be helpful to take the pressure off this this guy and just find ways of connecting and affirming him and being affectionate without any expectation in some ways very similar to what would be said if the if the um genders were reversed um so on the one hand there might be room for backing off and finding other ways to connect and just not just removing the pressure but also i would say if it, if there isn't an easy solution and this guy is willing and that would be a big if but if they were willing to go and get good professional recommended by somebody help for their relationship then that also would be an amazing and courageous investment amazing I want to leave that there that was oh I didn't need to add anything there it's really that's a really good point thank you for thank you for that Katie thank you Katie thank you Jemima for being part of today's conversation However you are listening to this podcast, please save, share and subscribe. Remember to leave a review and a five-star rating. You can read today's article and the relationship dilemma at womanalive.co.uk. And if there's a conversation you want to hear on the podcast, or if you have a question about sex and relationships, you can email me at womanalive at premier.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Join me next time where I'll be speaking with three more incredible women about real life and real things. For more inspiring conversations, articles and opinions, head to womanalive.co.uk. Woman Alive. Real women, real lives, real faith.